coming up next on the Jeff Crilly Show, The Sober Truth About Addiction. We'll be taking a look at the Phoenix House next. Many are predicting that the worst is yet to come, which is unfortunate, said one person here. Until now, they've enjoyed the reputation of being the nation's icebox. Watched a burglar in his home this morning by webcam. As a journalist of over 25 years, stories are what make my world turn. Reporting live from the Dallas Newsroom tonight, Jeff Curley, Fox 4 News. But in 2008, I took the jump from my familiar life and started a PR firm from my home. We're talking about anyone with a camcorder like the one I'm using becomes a television network. We started slowly growing the company and we now have over a hundred clients and we've branched into the world of live digital broadcasting. I now own eight different TV studios and have a huge team. And the stories that I now get to share are sometimes the most important of my life. Life has a funny way of coming around full circle. This is the Jeff Crilly Show. Well, fortunately now it looks like the pandemic is in our rear view mirror, but there's another pandemic and that's a pandemic of addiction. So many people are self-medicating to, to deal with loneliness or stress, and it's creating a real tidal wave of uh, new customers, so to speak, for addiction treatment facilities. To talk about that today, Drew Dutton, he's the president and CEO of Phoenix House, uh, Texas, and Chad Williamson, he is a recovery advocate. Thanks both for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Awesome. And I know you both have an amazing story of finding sobriety. Drew, let's let's start with you. Uh, your, your first uh, dealings with addiction started in seventh grade? Yeah, I'd, I'd struggled with mental health, you know, throughout a lot of my early childhood and early life. And uh, substance use issues for me began in middle school in seventh grade. And it's something that escalated pretty quickly in a pretty short period of time. Uh, around high school is when things had really escalated, started having legal issues and challenges. I'd actually dropped out of high school, I think at a 0.6 GPA at the time. Um, really bad relationship with family, peers, those types of things. And my family was able to get me into residential treatment um, where I did around three different, three years of um, different programming and resources and things like that. I uh, was able to turn things around, make a lot of different changes, um, graduate high school, get back re-enrolled and um, actually off to college from, from there, which was originally never part of the plan at any point. And, and now you help people find sobriety. How, how many different, he, he has this long title with all these letters that <laughs> I don't even understand. How many degrees do you have? Um, three master's degrees currently, just, just finishing up one in, in positive psychology. So I originally went, um, got my professional counseling degree from, from TCU after my undergraduate so that I could do counseling specifically with substance use disorders. Uh, my career really shifted into more of an administrative area. So I went and got my MBA. And then I've had a really big focus on to trying to create strengths-based approaches and utilizing positive psychology principles with addiction, a field where we've been really overly punitive and kind of shame-based for a long time. Sure. Uh, so I was really passionate about being able to go and kind of get that education as well. All right, Chad, would you share your story with us? <laughs> um, well, my story uh, is a lot like a lot of other people's. Um, it was, uh, I got in a car wreck and I lost my leg my other one was broken in several places. Um, and I just, I got overprescribed medication and I'm not blaming them at all. I was already, you know, feeling hopeless before that. Um, but it was at the beginning of the opioid epidemic. And then, um, when they cut you off because they think you're addicted back then, there was no, Hey, you need treatment. Hey, you need this. Hey, you need that. 
So it spiraled out, and as you could imagine, it turned into all of the harder drugs that uh, you know people have been dying from this entire time. Uh, but I had to learn all those lessons myself. Luckily, I have learned those lessons um, due to you know inpatient treatment, therapy, twelve-step um, programs, all of that stuff. And now I'm a huge proponent and advocate um, for all types of uh, recovery because there is thousands of ways to do it. I'm staying with you, Chad. So many people watching this who've not dealt with addiction say, okay, you, you just don't have enough willpower. Uh, can you debunk that myth? Oh man, if it was up to willpower, I'd be the CEO of Tesla. <laughs> you know, I have enough willpower to, I could jump out that window if I wanted to and then land on the ground. But guess what? If I jump out that window, I'm dead. So willpower is a uh, an interesting thing that um, some people are just born different. And that's that's the disease model of addiction that they talk about. Um, and it for me, it was a hopeless state of body and mind. And it's so well um, described in a in really the AA big book as it really kind of points that out. And that was written in the 40s. And that's one of the best selling books of all time. And uh, it, it was crazy when I finally came to terms with that because I, I refused to to believe that I was any different. And I, it, it's almost like I was pushing myself to prove that I wasn't an addict and that I had the willpower, you know. And uh, when I realized that I was, I had no control. That like my willpower, you know, I'd, I'd be sober for like six days in treatment and on the sixth day I would leave. I did that three times. And uh, like, I didn't, willpower is very, very crazy to me because I, I thought I still had it even when I was homeless. I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll stop tomorrow and all this stuff and all of the scars that I have like above my knees, that's all from drug use. So like, that's what willpower will get you. If you are, if you are actually addicted, um, willpower is not enough. You need, you need help. Wow. Drew, um, tell us why Phoenix House is different. A little bit about the, you know, that positive psychology we talked about. We really wanted to build a program that was rooted in patient strengths and the things that they do well, being able to build on their resiliencies and the resources they had, um, rather than this idea that you could punish someone or put enough consequences on them or shame them enough to get out of it. And a lot of what we know about the research shows that that's actively harmful. Not only is it just not helpful, but trying to create an environment that's built around empathy um, have that right balance of staff that have shared and similar experiences that can work with these adolescents and and build it into something positive. Sure. Staying with you, we're going to uh, have a little uh, B-roll, if you will, of, yeah. of the Phoenix House. And you have now five different campuses across the state of Texas. That's correct. We've got programs in Dallas, Austin, Round Rock, San Antonio, and Houston. We've got residential and outpatient programming for both male and females. And then we've also got prevention programs across the state in Dallas, Austin, and Houston as well. And tell us about uh, what makes your team unique. I think it's that same kind of mindset that there's a, it's a group of individuals that are really bought in, that understand the disease of addiction and understand what can help foster change, that are dedicated to creating a safe and passionate environment where people can heal. Uh, and I know a big driver for a lot, a lot of um, our staff are at Phoenix House is because we treat people regardless of their ability to pay. And I think a lot of other providers, that is one of the biggest barriers is families and adolescents just simply can't afford or don't have access to the insurance they need to get this life-saving care. And Phoenix House removes that 
that barrier from them. Sure. And Chad, you have a, a wildly popular podcast called This Pink Cloud. We're going to show a little bit of a video. Tell us uh, why you do uh, the podcast. Well, uh, the video is fantastic because I still had hair there, <laughs> and that was not that long ago. So I, I love that. Um, I do it because the the and the name is different on there because I, I also make music and I knew Kelly um, years ago and we made music together when we were both in addiction. Uh, he was an alcoholic and obviously I was a heroin addict and uh, I, you know, started talking to him. I ended up going to jail and all this stuff. And uh, he told me that he had got sober and uh, he started this podcast. And I was like, yeah, podcasts are just videos, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I used to make jokes about that all the time. And then ironically, when I got out of jail, he was like, you should be on the podcast. And I fell in love with it ever since. And uh, it's it's a way to bring awareness and it's a way to because everybody has their own story and like nobody's story is more important than another person's story. And I think that's the thing um, that with being open and honest about it, like you never know what two words are going to impact somebody's life. So we want to get as many words said as we can from and, as many people. And tell us about the name This Pink Cloud. So um, the pink cloud in addiction recovery is is what they talk about when you first get sober and then you feel great and everything's awesome. And then uh, they talk about falling off of it because, you know, one thing goes wrong and then the next thing you know, it's the worst day of your life. But that that it's kind of a misconception for me anyways, because it can last as long as you want it to. It just depends on how much work you're willing to put in to get it. So it's 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 a symbol of hope, I think. Sure. And we talked at the beginning of the show about a pandemic of addiction. Would you agree with that? That, you know, the pandemic probably was the worst thing that could possibly happen to somebody who um, likes to self-medicate. They were alone, uh, opportunity to day drink or abuse um, drugs uh, greatly enhanced. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's we're objectively in the worst opioid epidemic we've ever seen. Uh, and we continue to surpass the level of a fatal overdose deaths year after year. Um, something that the U.S. unfortunately has led in for quite some time to where it's now the leading cause of death for all Americans under 50. And fentanyl alone, a specific opioid that we hear quite a bit about, is the leading cause of death for the entire age bracket of 18 to 45. And working with youth over the same time frame, we've seen those overdose deaths more than double in the last few few years. So we see that adolescents are being disproportionately affected, and we've really started to see adolescent use shift to um, having these types of opioid overdoses in a way we had never seen before sure. in working in the field. Uh, staying with you, Drew, uh, you guys are out in the community, which I love. We've got some pictures, and I want you to kind of narrate what we're looking at. You're, you're out giving speeches? Yeah, this is me talking about um, being able to apply positive psychology principles and strengths-based treatment programming with other providers, uh, really trying to communicate different approaches that people can utilize. This was at a symposium of people from all over the country that are actually focused on addiction that were interested in hearing uh, those different types of approaches. Uh, that is a really near and dear friend of mine, Dr. Uh, Katie Berry, and we were able to co-present at a conference together and we actually went to treatment together as, as teenagers some time ago. So to be able to do this in the field now has been really special. Uh, this is one of our prevention initiatives. So on the other uh, side of the, the coin from treatment, we've got people trying to prevent adolescents and families from even having to go down the road of needing treatment altogether. They do wonderful work in schools and the communities with drug take backs, uh, education programs, life skills training, 
all different types of resources. And this is a part of that, um, the partnering with the DEA to do a drug take back in the communities. A lot of the opioids that make their way into circulation are just opioids that have um, not been cleaned out of closets and pantries and people don't necessarily think about, oh, the last time I went to the dentist or sure. the doctor, I didn't realize I left with 90 days worth of an incredibly dangerous substance. Yeah, I had heard about a trend several years ago where people would go to open houses and then they would look in the cabinets to see if they could find um, drugs. Yeah, absolutely. Any any in every way that they can get it, because that's what it turns into. Um, that said willpower turns into the drugs willpower. And then you're doing things that you never ever in your wildest imagination could have seen you doing. So it's it's it is an absolute epidemic and it's like the worst thing um the worst thing about it is that drug is so deadly that's going on right now and right. They, they just keep changing it and changing it and changing it so it just there's no human trials going on on this stuff that's coming over from china so you don't even know if it's fentanyl anymore it's got a new molecule added to it and there's no human element to the this stuff they're just trying to stay one step ahead of the law so it's incredibly dangerous so when you were abusing it, um, that was before fentanyl just became really widespread. Am I right? Yes. Uh, so they were, I had fentanyl and um, Dilaudid whenever I was in the hospital um, for the car wreck and the amputation. And uh, fentanyl was like a surgical tool. And then people figured out how to synthesize it. And now it's like, you know, one of the cheapest made substances in, in these factories. Um, and then it's it's nothing like any of the other opioids it's it will put you to sleep and if you fall asleep there's a chance you'll die at almost every single time you use it and then you wake up and you're already sick so it's it's not it's nothing like the other opiates that used to be around so we've got about two minutes left and i want you both to have a final thought we'll start with you chad um person watching this saying either i need help or one of my loved ones needs help uh, what do you want to say to that person um, you have to be brave and you have to ask for the help because nobody can tell you what is going on in your brain. Um, so if you're out there, reach out to whoever it is and then somebody is willing to give you some help. Um, there's places if you don't have funding, there's places, there, there's places for every type of person in this world to be able to, to get help. And there is thousands of solutions. There's thousands of ways that you can get over um, what it is that you're going through. And uh, Drew, we'll give you the last word. That same thing, recovery is possible. Um, you know, I want there to be hope for individuals. As Chad talked about, there's a lot of options. If you're an adolescent or a family in need of support in Texas, reach out to Phoenix House, Texas. We wanna make sure we can remove some of the most common barriers like the financial constraints and get kids the help that they need, whether that's on the preventative side or the treatment side. We're here for the families and we're happy to help. Outstanding. Thank you both for sharing your story and, and for your mission and ministry. We're going to end with the website, which is phoenixhousetx.org. Thank you both for coming on the show. Thank, Thank you. you so much for having us. That's it for now. We'll see you next time.